today on City Cash Chicago. This spring, the members who make up city council may look different, but the number of them will be the same as it's been for 100 years. 50 wards, 50 alder people, more than any other major city except New York. Now, do we really need all those alders? Let's break it down. It's Monday, February 27th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. William Howe is director of the University of Chicago's Center for Effective Government. The center is teaming up with Cranes to dissect if Chicago's current political makeup is effective for the people who live here. William, welcome to CityCast Chicago. Hey, thanks for having me on. Let's jump into it and start with the most important question. What are the advantages for residents with the current system of 50 wards, 50 alder people, as it's been for a century? It, and, and a century exactly. And so the core trade-off that we need to be thinking about when we think about this design is between, on the one hand, the articulation of and the representation of local interests. Um, think about what's happening on the block and um, what's happening in a particular neighborhood as compared to what we might think of as citywide concerns. Right. When you when you have 50 older persons, you're you're putting a lot of weight on the former. What you're saying is we want every block, every community to have its own voice. Um, and and we've structured our system in a way that then all the people who who serve on the city council are are looking back at their neighborhood and saying, you know, what's the pothole I need to fill and what's the garbage that I need to collect. But they struggle to think about um, and attend to things that, that, that cut across those wards and much less the things that cut across the entire city. And so that's the kind of trade-off that we need to be thinking about when we think about the design of a city council. For example, something like getting your snow shovel, getting a pothole field, asking about a vacant lot, there's an advantage to knowing that whoever that person is, I have some form of direct contact with them. But you're saying one of the trade-offs is, but when we start thinking about affordable housing across wards, when we think about something like bike lanes from ward to ward, those concerns that are going to have a citywide impact, that's where things start to, to maybe just not work as effective. That's exactly right. A city council like ours that is chopped up into 50 different wards and everybody's looking back at their own ward, their mini mayor of their own ward, is going to struggle to attend to those kinds of things. I think one thing that's worth noting, though, that that when we think about that trade-off and who do you call, there is an alternative, which is you can imagine a robust bureaucracy that you call. You don't have to call an elected official to get... It's it's a little odd, right? That I mean, we've gotten used to it. You call your older person. But it is a little odd that we call an elected person in order to get a basic service delivered and a you know, basic problem attended to. Um, there's a kind of responsiveness that comes from that, which is good, but it's coming from somebody who is an elected official, who's a politician at heart. What would you say to people who say, well, we already have those systems. If we invest more, just educate people more on 311 and 211 and 411, that, that uh, many of those services can be picked up by a different office. In fact, your older person is probably going to push you off on one of those sort of social services. I mean, part of it is education. I think that's a good point. Like Part of it is being aware of... Uh, the services that you can reach out to. But part of it, too, is how robust, how effective, what 
you know, the, the level of performance of those administrative agencies. And I would postulate that a world in which we have older persons as kind of a backup, a, a, the turn of last resort, offers benefits. But as long as you have that, then at the margin, there are going to be less investments in making sure that those administrative agencies work better. Like Streets and Sands or CDOT, something like that. Exactly. Can you put in context of how our system compares to other major cities like in L.A., a Houston, a NYC? It's markedly different. We're a big outlier. The only other city, as you pointed out, that is as large, is actually one larger than us, is New York City. But also New York City is three and a half times our size. Mm-hmm. So on a per capita basis, we, you know, all the persons that represent roughly 50,000 Chicago residents. Um, and it's closer to 200,000 in, in New York City because it's so much larger. And then if you look at all the other major cities, you, you pointed to Houston, you pointed to um, uh, L.A., they all have numbers that are in the high teens uh, to roughly you know eight or nine. Um, it, they're just much, much smaller. When you're voting for one of nine um, in, a, in a city, that person is going to then be one of nine in the legislature who's going to exert a whole lot more power at the margin, right? If you're one in 50, you can only do so much. And so you're going to attend to what's happening on the block. But if you're one of nine, you and four other people can make a huge difference in the direction of a city. And in that sense, the stakes are, are, are higher for that one particular um, that one particular office, which, which, which can also encourage a kind of political engagement, um, which is healthy for a democracy. Mm-hmm. Which is why these cities have at-large members, um, which which is something that that's not the case here. That's exactly right. So there are two big choices that a city can make when thinking about a city council. One is the number. We've been talking a lot about that. But then also who is represented. And there are some places that have hybrid systems where it's they're going to have wards, some local jurisdictions, but some subset of people are also going to be elected at large and they're going to represent the city as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some work that suggests that the optimal design Um, is one that is a blend of those two because that's that happy compromise, the argument goes, between attending to local and attending to citywide interests. There's so many questions about the effectiveness of our city council. Why do you think it has endured a century and, and, and not changed? Oh, I think this is, I mean, it's a really interesting question. And to my mind, the thing to pay attention to is sure the effectiveness or the ineffectiveness. That's one factor to pay attention to. It's an important one. But you also need to think about who's going to make those changes, right? Who actually is going to, I mean, there's like a politics of institutional reform and institutions are sticky and they're sticky in part because the very people who have to pass, you know, to issue the votes um, to, to change the system are the ones that are, I'm going to say profiting from the system, but I don't mean that in a nefarious way. No, you're They're asking the powerful to, to curtail their own power. Their own and power. We, and when we look at city council, we have a history of people who have, you get in and you get the the backing of your constituents, you can stay for a very long time. Your sister can be the next older person. Your son or daughter could be the next older person, even though it, at a citywide level, as you said, may not hold that large amount of power, but in your ward. That's exactly right. And so what are the incentives for you then to disrupt this whole arrangement? Go from 50 to nine, which in expectation is gonna kick you out of office. 
the impetus for the change has to come from outside the political system. You need to have a greater awareness to these issues um, uh, and pressure applied on the system. And your questions about, well, why are we sticking with it? Like, that's exactly the right question to ask. It is a choice. It isn't these things, these institutions aren't handed down from on high that we have to live with year after year. We could say as a city and come together as a city and say, we want to do things differently and here's what it'll look like. I've always been told that Chicago's political system is supposed to be sort of strong council, weak mayor. But it doesn't feel like that all the time. You know, what does this mean in, in practice and, and how do Chicago push back against this? Strong council weak mayor. I think typically what we'll do is look at the, sp the precise powers that are given to a city council versus to a mayor. So when you think like like about the budget, right? City council legally has power of the purse, but in practice, we see the mayor really sets the agenda when it comes to spending. And then that process of the budget process is really in some ways the mayor massaging different city council members to make sure they feel their ward is represented in the sort of larger initiative. And once they get the, yeah, okay, I, I feel good about that. And then the mayor sort of kind district. of moves forward. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And likewise, with regards to mayors, who do they get to appoint? And when they appoint people to positions of power, are they subject to uh, oversight, a veto? Do they have to get the, for, the prior approval of a city council? Um, are there and, and, shared and right now, the, the mayor picks the, the, the committee heads in city council. They do not uh, elect themselves. Yeah. I mean, politically, that's the way it, 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 it works. Um, mayors exert disproportionate influence. As soon as you recognize what the design of the legislature is, is one that chops up our city into 50 districts and makes gets people to pay attention to their local wards, that then it's hard to attend to citywide issues. So who's going to step into the space? There's like a vacuum left. And so there's an opportunity for entrepreneurial mayors to come in and say, here's what we're going to do. So that solves one kind of an issue, which is we need a champion of Chicago as a whole, but it's one person, right? And is that optimal? And what do we do if we've got the wrong person in office or somebody who isn't attending to the true interests of the city, but is attending to her or his or their um, political interests first, first and foremost. If you had a, a city council with nine people, they're not, the, the challenges aren't as great, but it comes at the cost of your block and my block. Yeah, and, and it feels like it it, leave, it leads a lot of room for, especially when we start thinking about things like campaign financing, leaves a lot of room for those races to become even more contentious, meaning costing even more, meaning even more cumbersome for your, you know, your your Jeanette Taylors or your Oscar Sanchez, your, your people who just, your, your organizers to get in the race and maybe have some sort of an impact. So it feels like the, the disadvantage to maybe shrinking to, to nine people is if you get a majority, you know, you get five people in there or, or six people in, in there in, on one side of the aisle, you, you just end up having a, a sort of overwhelmingly less representative and even maybe a more watered down city council versus what we have now, whereas, you know, as I go across the automatic races, there is some level of specificity that the conversation they're having in Jefferson Park looks a little bit different than the conversation they're having in uh, Eastside or South Deering. The conversation they're having in Lakeview is different than the conversation they're having in Roseland. And 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 I feel like the the, the specificity of those conversations is necessary. And so trying to figure out what those, as you say, those trade-offs are is, is, is crucial, but 
even beyond size and scope of city council, you know, I've had people come on the show and say, we need to do things in our political system, like getting a, a, a city charter, which we don't have. How do you think something like that would impact this conversation? So the benefit of a city charter, to my mind, the biggest benefit is it forces these discussions. It forces us to think about not just trade-offs, but trade-offs as they reverberate all the way through the political system. You have to think about, okay, who's going to have what kind of power? What are the lines of accountability? Um, how is this system going to hold together in the best interests of the city? To my mind, there isn't an optimal answer um, in a universal sense. There are reasons why different cities make different choices. But again, it's worth reminding um, uh, us that we in Chicago have just made a very different choice than um, than the rest of the cities around the country. And so the fact that 100 years ago this choice was made was massively important for the subsequent fate of our city because they sit right behind and inform and shape the, the more proximate conversations that we're more accustomed to having about what do we do about schools? What do we do about, you know, uh, transportation, what do we do about public safety? Right, right behind that are these institutions. We don't need to live with the ones that we have. William Howe is director of the University of Chicago Center for Effective Government. William, thank you for joining us on CityCast. Thank you for, for having me on. This is great. Before I let you go, I got a little bit of news for you. If you need help with your taxes, the city treasurer's office is hosting a live stream today at noon on how to prepare for tax season. Check the link in the show notes for more details. Sister Jean Dolores Schmidt, who shot to fame as the Loyola men's basketball team chaplain, has a new book on shelves tomorrow. It's called Wake Up With Purpose, What I've Learned in My First Hundred Years. And after some drizzle today, it looks like voters will see the sun and temperatures in the mid-40s as they head to the polls tomorrow. Remember, check the Chicago Board of Elections for your polling place. And some good news to get you through. We got more restaurant deals for you as Lincoln Square Ravenswood and Greektown are celebrating their neighborhood restaurants this week. Also, don't be shy on paying your meal with a great show as Chicago's Theater Week has been extended through March 5th after record sales. As always, I appreciate you for listening. Make sure you rate and review the podcast wherever you listen and subscribe to our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, at chicago.citycast.fm. I'm going to be here tomorrow. I hope you'll join me. Peace. Oh, my Lord. Compliments. Oh, I wish you were recording.